So this morning, I am very excited uh, because I do love our 21 days of prayer and fasting because I know that God does something amazing. Let me just challenge you with a thought. How many of you know that when God, when God wants to change a family, He changes one person? One person. That's all it takes. One person getting born again. One person getting filled with the Holy Spirit. One person getting sold out for Jesus. And you know what will happen? That one person will change that entire family. And you know what? Here's what's even crazier. You know how God changes a city? With one person. You know how God changes a nation? With one person. You remember a guy by the name of Abraham in the Bible? God took one man and birthed a nation. It just takes one. And, and the power of 21 days, so let me just say this to you. The power of 21 days, I said it last Sunday, is, is not just the abstaining from food. The power of 21 days of prayer and fasting is spiritual engagement. So we challenge you to ask the Lord, God, what do you want me to fast from? And we, we kind of used the scripture last week out of Daniel and just said, ask the question, what is it that I'm eating that is defiling me? What am I eating that's eating away at my health and my spiritual legacy and longevity? And maybe that would be a good thing for me to fast from and break that stronghold off of my life through these 21 days so that I don't ever have to go back. Come on, somebody. How many know there are some things you're probably eating that you probably shouldn't be eating on a regular occasion? And this is a great time to break that off of your life through prayer and fasting so we just challenge you whatever the Lord told you to do to do that but again let me remind you if the focus of 21 days of prayer and fasting becomes on what you're not eating then you're gonna miss the mark you can't focus on what you're not eating. we've been doing this for a long time and I can tell you there have been seasons and times where we've done 21 days of prayer and fasting and my focus shifted to what I wasn't eating <laughs> and all I could think about was what I was not gonna eat today and how many of you understand, if that's what your thought life is on, that you're not going to get the thing God wants you to get out of these 21 days of prayer and fasting. So the purpose is spiritual engagement. So we do deny our flesh so we can engage in the Spirit and walk in the things that God has called us to do. So let me just encourage you. Let's settle this thing. Let's, let's recognize, man, this is significant. John Wesley said it so beautifully. Hey, Christmas ain't the only great time of year. This is awesome, guys. This is an opportunity for us to unwrap the spiritual gifts that God has put on on the inside of each of us and gather together as the body of Christ for a corporate anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage that brings revival and liberty and the Holy Ghost fire of God we just sung about into our families into our communities and into our nation and so this is a prime awesome amazing time that we have to be a part of this so let me encourage you it's like anything that you do you will get out of it what you put into it so let's not be half-hearted Let's be wholehearted. Let's, let's press into this thing and say, God, I'm going to seek you over the next 21 days like never before. So let's look with me together this morning, if you will, in Ezekiel chapter 22. Today we're going to begin a message series entitled Courage, Conviction, and Calling. And as I was praying at the end of last year, the Lord gave me these three words. And he said, Keith, these three words are not just going to be the focus of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. It's really going to be a focal point for Liberty Church for this coming year, for 2024. I believe God wants to release courage, conviction, and calling. And I just really believe this in my heart, that those three things can change the world. Those three things can change your world. Those three things can change your family. Those three change, things can change this community. Those three things can change this church. And those three things can literally change the world. Where there is conviction, where there is courage, conviction, and calling, you can turn the world upside down for the glory of God. As a matter of fact, on the 28th, the reason that we chose the movie Sound of Freedom is because that movie exemplifies everything we're going to be talking about over the next three weeks. It shows us what it means to be courageous. It shows us what it means to live by conviction. And it shows us what, us, what it means to embrace the calling of God on our life and how that one person can change the world with the courage and conviction and calling of God that's been poured out upon them. So my, my prayer, my, my, my anticipation is that God is going to release something over the next 21 days that we're going we're gonna to fan and fuel and feed, hopefully for the rest of our lives, but specifically and strategically for the next 12 months to see God do some amazing things in our hearts and our lives and in our communities. Amen? Amen? So Ezekiel chapter 22, the Bible says this, again a message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, give the people of Israel this message. In the day of my indignation, 
You will be like a polluted land, a land without rain. Your princes plot conspiracies just as lions stalk their prey. They devour innocent people, seizing treasure and exhorting wealth. They make many widows in the land. And your priests have violated my instructions and defiled my holy things. They make no distinction between what is holy and what is not. And they do not teach my people the difference between what is ceremonial clean and unclean. They disregard my Sabbath day so that I am dishonored among them. And your leaders are like wolves who tear apart their victims. They actually destroy people's lives for money. And your prophets cover up for them by announcing false vision and making lying predictions. They say, my message is from the sovereign Lord when the Lord hasn't spoken a single word to them. And even common people oppress the poor, rob the needy, and deprive foreigners of justice. And I look for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I would not have to destroy the land. And maybe some of the saddest words found in the Bible, listen to what Ezekiel says as God speaks to him. God said, but I found no one. But I found no one. So I will pour out my fury on them, consuming them with the fire of my anger. And I will heap on their heads the full penalty for all their sins. For I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. So I want to unpackage what we just read. God is, is confronting the nation of Israel through the prophet Ezekiel. And God basically says this to Ezekiel. He says the entire nation is corrupted from the top to the bottom. And he literally starts at the top. He talks about their leaders. He talks about the, their political leaders. And he said they're like ravenous wolves and, and devouring lions. And they, they devour the innocent. They take advantage of the poor. And they literally destroy people's lives for money. Sound like any politicians you know. He says the politicians are corrupted, but he doesn't stop there. He says, hey, it's not just in the political White House. He says it's in the church house. He says the priests and the prophets, listen to what he says, the priests and the prophets are no longer teaching my people the difference between what is holy and what is unholy, what is clean and what is unclean. I can tell you this, honestly, just a couple months ago, I sat down with a local pastor. He pastors a church in Arab, Alabama, and I asked him this question. I said, if there's somebody in your church that is actively living in a homosexual lifestyle, would you encourage them to repent of their sins and turn back to God? And he looked me in the face, and he said, absolutely not. That is not my place, he said. Let me just tell you, if that is happening in a church in Arab, Alabama, the belt buckle of the Bible belt. <laughs> then you have to have a clue of what is happening in the world we're living in. So God told Ezekiel, he said the politicians are corrupted, the religious leaders are corrupted, but he doesn't stop there. He says even the common people. That's everyday ordinary people just like me and you. He said, even the common people, he said, they're oppressing the poor. They're, they're persecuting the foreigners. They're not giving justice to those who are in need. And he says, literally, from the top of the nation to the bottom of the nation, there's corruption, there's perversion, and there's sin. But let me give you some good news today. There is hope. How many know that with God, there's always hope? And here's our hope. God is a merciful God. God is a gracious God. God is a God, the Bible says, that desires mercy to triumph over judgment. There's hope, and here's the hope. The heart of God is for redemption and salvation. The heart of God is mercy and grace. So God lists all these transgressions and, and, and sins of the nation of Israel. And then he says in verse 30, let's read it again. He said, but I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. And I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land. I want you to hear me today. The heart of God is always redemption, not destruction. The heart of God is always salvation, not judgment. 
God said, man, the nation of Israel is corrupted from the top to the bottom. But God in his mercy, God in his grace said, so I just began to look for one person, one man, one woman, one individual that would build the wall of righteousness, that would begin to reestablish the truth of God. People that would begin to stand in the gap in the wall so that I would not have to destroy the land. I'm just looking for one. Look at that first point on your outline. The someone God is looking for is you and me. The someone God is looking for in America in 2024, God is looking for you and me. God is looking for the church. We're the people God's looking for. God is looking, think about this, God is looking for men and women of God who will rebuild the walls of righteousness, men and women of God who will stand in the gap for a nation that is dying and going to hell. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, Keith, this is the reason we need courage. This is the reason we need conviction. This is the reason we need to understand the calling of God upon our lives. Because God is looking for someone to rebuild the wall. God is looking for someone to stand in the gap. He's looking for men and women of God. Rick Burgess, you guys familiar with Rick Burgess, Rick and Bubba, he has a men's ministry called Pursuit, a curriculum for men, and we teach that here at Liberty Church. And one of the things he says during that study is he, he talks about his dad. And he says, I recognize something in the, in the generations that have come. He said, in my generation versus my dad's generation, he said, I recognize that when people would introduce my dad, they would introduce him and they would say, this is Mr. Burgess, and then they would say this, and he's a man of God. He's a man of God. I want that to be said of us. I want that to be said of me. I want people to look at Liberty Church and say that's a man or a woman of God. Amen. They're not just good people and they're not just church people. They are men and women of God. And I'm not talking about, hey, let's just throw around some titles so we can sound cool. I'm not worried about the title. I'm worried about the posture that we have to take in our hearts and our lives so that people look at us and say, that's a man or a woman of God. Amen. Wouldn't it be great if your children described you as a man or a woman of God? Instead of, he's a great sports fan. Oh, my dad loved Alabama. Oh, my dad was a great golfer. Oh, my dad was a big hunter. Tell me about your dad. He loves sports. Tell me about your dad. He was a hard worker. That's good. Tell me about your dad. He made a lot of money and bought us everything we wanted. Tell me about your mom. Oh, she, she, she really cared about us. She always made sure we got to do all the things we wanted to do and go to all the stuff we wanted to go to. And we were always involved in all the activities because my mom and dad made sure we could do everything we wanted to do. But wouldn't it be great if somebody said, hey, tell me about your mom and dad. They said, oh, man. man, my dad, he's a man of God. My mom, she's a woman of God. What if the people you work with described you, people that don't even like you, Think about it. People that don't even like you because you stand for God, but they recognize something in you that sets you apart, and they say, you know what? That guy gets under my skin, but he's a man of God. I want to reclaim that in our nation. I want to reclaim that at Liberty Church. I want to reclaim that in my family and in your family, that we would be recognized as men and women of God, not just good people, not just church people, but men and women of God. Because that's what God's looking for. He's looking for courageous men and women, men and women with courage and conviction and calling that are willing to stand up and stand out and be different, no longer blend in, but stand out for the glory of God. So why do we need courage? Let's talk about courage today. Look with me in Joshua chapter 1. We're going to read verse 1 through verse 9. We're going to kind of take our time and we're going to dissect this scripture. We're going to see why we need courage. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says this, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, 
Moses' assistant. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving them, the children of Israel. And every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, as I said to Moses. So from this wilderness and, the, and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. You know why Israel's fighting for their land? Because God gave it to them. And in verse 5, he says, And no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. So why do we need courage? Look at that next point. Because Moses is dead. Think about what's just happened. Moses, the greatest leader the world had ever known at that time, led millions of people out of Egyptian bondage, stood up to the greatest powerhouse on the planet, and brought Egypt to its knees. Moses dies. And now God looks at Joshua. He says, Moses is dead. Now let's go take the land. Moses is dead. Now let's go take the land. Why do we need courage? We need courage. Think about this. Because our world and our lives are filled with sorrow. They're filled with grief. And they're filled with loss. Every day we face the tragedies and sorrows of living in a world stained by sin and we need courage listen to me we need courage to rebuild the walls and stand in the gap no matter what happens no matter what happens we need courage listen to me we need courage because bad things happen to good people we need courage because bad things happen to good people and you need courage that when all hell breaks loose in your life you're just gonna keep on keeping on for Jesus when your Moses dies, you're going to get up and possess the land. When the diagnosis from the doctor comes, you're going to keep serving Jesus. When the, when the company you work for decides they're going to lay off everybody on your shift, you need courage to keep on keeping on for Jesus. When you file bankruptcy and you've done all you can do and there's nothing left to do, you need courage to keep on keeping on. I spent a couple days up in Indiana this last week teaching at the NRP School of Ministry. and I was coming home last night. And Kelly laughed at me this morning. I get on a plane. Man, I love talking to people. And I'm like, man, this is a captive audience to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, where are they going to go? And my flights to Indiana and my flights home, the first, I had four flights total. The first three flights, man, the people sitting next to me did not want to talk. So I respected that. But my last flight home from Dallas last night, lady sat next to me from Louisiana, or from New Orleans, actually. And she told me how that when she was 18 years old, her brother was murdered. She said, I got so angry at God that for five years I just walked away from church, walked away from God, walked away from everything. She said, finally, after five years, she said, I finally matured to a place where I could begin to process what had happened, and I realized that God's for me and not against me. And she said, I was able to work through that grief and come back to the Lord. And She's not where she wants to be or even where she says she needs to be, but she's believing again. She's trusting God again. How many know that takes courage? When there's tragic loss, when there's grief, when there's sorrow, when there's heartache, it takes courage. And so we need courage. Why do we need courage? Because Moses dies. And things happen. And we need to be courageous enough that when that happens, it doesn't mean we don't grieve and it doesn't mean we don't have to step back so we can refresh and refuel so we can re-engage. But it means that we refuse to quit. We are so courageous that I'm going to keep on keeping on no matter what. I love, I love the story of, and I'm lingering here way too long, but I love, I love the story in the Bible. John chapter 20, Jesus tells Peter that he's going to be led to death and die a martyr's death for his faith and following Christ. And Peter looks at John. And says, what about John? 
And I love what Jesus says. Jesus said, what does it matter if John lives till I come? You follow me. Who cares about John? Follow me. When Moses dies, follow me. When tragedy comes, follow me. When grief comes, follow me. And that takes courage. And we need courage. Look at that next verse, Joshua 1 verse 6. God says it here. So be strong. Moses is dead, Joshua, so be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide an inheritance, the land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. Why do we need courage? Because our job, listen to this, is to take the land and divide the inheritance. But listen to me. We're not fighting for a physical property. We are fighting for eternal souls. Israel's fighting for a temporal possession. We are fighting for an eternal kingdom. And the only thing you can take to heaven is people. The only thing you can take to heaven is people. And it requires courage. Courage to fight for the lost. Courage to win souls, make disciples, destroy the works of the devil. Courage to engage in the hearts and lives of those that are broken and battered and hurting. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. It's Luke chapter 19. It says, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quickly come down. I must be a guest in your home today. And Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. How many know that's what real repentance looks like? And Jesus said, look what he said, salvation has come to this house today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Look at verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are what? Let me tell you what I know about lost people. They're messy. Their lives are filled with drama, chaos, and confusion. And depending upon the degree of lostness, even though they're all lost, lost is lost, by the way. But depending on the degree of lostness, they can really be messed up. <laughs> and this is what the Holy Spirit said to me. He said, Keith, he said, let, let me read this. I'm going to say it to you. Let me read one more scripture. First Timothy chapter 1. Listen to Paul. And I'm going to share with you what the Lord spoke to me. Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. Even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ, in my insolence I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. And oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that comes from Christ Jesus. Look at verse 15. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul had a good revelation. And I am the worst of them all. But look at verse 16. But God had mercy on me. God had mercy on me so that Christ could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. And then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. This is what the Lord said. He said, Keith, he said it's going to require courage because this is what, let me give you a definition of standing in the gap. And there are many, but let me give you what the Lord gave me. He said, Keith, standing in the gap means that you look at people and you see who they are and where they are, and then you see who they're called to be. You see who they are now, and you see who they're called to be, and you recognize there's this amazing gap between who they are and who they're called to be. And standing in the gap means that I recognize that who they are, who they're called to be, and then I step into the midst of it. I step into that gap. There's this, there's this alarming gap between who Saul, the persecutor and murderer of Christians was, and Paul, the apostle of the New Testament. And I want to be an Ananias. Y'all remember Ananias in the book of Acts? 
Paul is laid up blind in the bed on his way to Damascus to persecute and kill Christians. And God speaks to Ananias and he says, Ananias, I got this guy named Paul, named Saul that I'm going to turn him into a Paul. And I need somebody to go stand in the gap, build a bridge so he can go from who he was to become who I've called him to be. And this is what the Lord said. He said, Keith, he said, that's what standing in the gap is. It's seeing people for who they are and then seeing them for who I've called them to be and being willing to interject yourself, first of all, through prayer. First of all, through prayer. Let, let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you this. I, I shared this with the early service this morning. I realize something. I realize that I struggle sometimes in effectively and fervently praying for lost people because I spend so much time caring for saved people. And I love it. <laughs> Kelly and I love praying for people, ministering. To people. Our phone blows up all the time, and we love it. Keep coming. Okay? We, we love, we love when we get texts and people ask us to pray because we do. We've learned, we've learned the secret to the 30-second prayer, to stop what we're doing and just pray right there. Pray into that thing for that moment. Because if we wait till later, later never comes. But I realized something. I realized something about my own life. I realized that I am so consumed with caring for people that are saved, praying for people that are saved, ministering to people that are saved, encouraging people that are saved, helping people that are saved, that sometimes I lose sight of consistently interceding for those who are lost. I don't believe we have to choose between the two. I believe it's not and or. I believe it's both. I believe we're supposed to care for one another. There's no doubt the Bible teaches that. But at the very same time, we're supposed to be a bridge builder. We're supposed to stand in the gap. And that begins with intercession. And we've done this many times over the years. We, we've done what we call the prayer of three, where we ask people at the beginning of the year to identify three people that you knew that were not saved and devote the rest of this year to praying for those three people. I'm just going to throw that out there. It's just a little a la carte. You can take it if you want it. <laughs> but what would happen if you and I literally looked around our world? I'm talking about your circle and recognize three people. This is where they are. This is where we know God's called them to be. And there's this gap. What if we started praying into that? What if we interjected ourselves into that gap through prayer and intercession? And then, and then after you do that, after you intercede and pray for them, you got to take the next step. This is what he said. He said, Keith, he said, then you got to step in physically and begin to build a relational bridge so they can go from where they are to where I've called them to be. And then this is what he said to me. He said, Keith, he said, the reason most Christians don't do that is because when you get saved, your life's a mess. And the longer you're saved, if you truly follow Christ, God brings order to your chaos. And we enjoy living drama-free lives. We love it. I'm just going to talk. I love it. And this is what he said. He said, Keith, you're loving the convenience of a drama-free life more than you're loving people that are dying and going to hell. I'm not saying invite everybody in. I'm just saying there are a few people in your life that you need to step in the gap. There are some people you need to begin to interject your life into and begin to build a bridge, a relational bridge, so they can cross over from who they are to who God has called them to be. Jesus was a friend of sinners, but Jesus did not sin with sinners. Right? So we create healthy boundaries to where we engage with people to help them cross over from where they are to where God has called them to be. And I cannot allow my love of drama-free life to keep me from standing in the gap for those who are headed to hell. Now, let me tell you what I love about our home. And my wife has done a wonderful job of creating this place in our home. Our home for us is a sanctuary that I can come home and there's peace. And I can come home, and there's very little drama. I mean, I get on her nerves every now and then, but other than that. We've got a sanctuary, but you know what? That's a great place to retreat to, to be refreshed, but it's not a place to live in. Because there's a world dying and going to hell. 
And if we don't stand in the gap, then guess what God said? Then I guess they're going to be destroyed by their sins. I'm looking for a gap filler. I'm looking for someone to engage first prayerfully and then literally physically and relationally to create a bridge. Think about everybody in this room. You came to Christ because, number one, somebody prayed for you. And number one, number two, somebody built a relationship with you and invited you either to church or they invited you to Christ. But somehow they became a relational bridge that allowed you to cross over. What an honor and a privilege we have to do the same thing for other people. What an honor and a privilege we have to do the same thing for others. Amen? All right. Y'all still with me? Joshua chapter 1 verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous. You see some repetitiveness here, right? God is driving home this point. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. And do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. And this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Why do we need courage? Because our success and prosperity and life, family, and ministry is determined by our obedience to the Word of God. God told Joshua, be strong and courageous so that you may obey the Word that I have given you. Meditate on it. Study it. Listen to me. He said your God's word should not depart out of your mouth. We need to be speaking the word and declaring the word. God's word should be in your mind. You need to meditate on the word. And God's word should ultimately come out of your life as you begin to obey the word. And let me tell you what we need. We need courage to be obedient. And let me break it down even a little more specific. We need courage because how many of you, how many of you understand? It takes courage when you have that little prompt of the Holy Spirit. I mean, sometimes I think I wish God had a megaphone and he would shout at me. But usually he doesn't. It's the whisper of the Holy Spirit. It's the prompt. Go and talk to that person. Go and pray for that person. Invite that person to church. Give that person $100. Pay their electric bill. Help them. Invite them out to dinner. Encourage them. Text them and just check in on them. It's those little prompts of the Holy Spirit. Let's just be honest. It really happens all the time. But you know what it takes? It takes courage for you and I to step out in faith and do that thing. It takes courage for us to step out in faith and be obedient to those promptings of the Lord. Because your mind and my mind will give us a thousand reasons why we can't and why we shouldn't and why it won't work. A thousand reasons. Your mind will justify disobedience to God over and over and over and over and over again. But it takes courage. We need courage to be strong and courageous. Why? That you may obey the promptings of the Lord, that you may obey the whispers of God that are in your heart. I missed an opportunity a couple weeks ago. I saw a guy, and the Lord told me to go and talk to him, and I was supposed to buy something for him. I don't even really remember the wholeness of it. I just remember telling God why I shouldn't do that. And that would really be weird. And he would think I'm weird. And I mean, no, we really don't like being weird unless we want to be weird and everybody think us weird. <laughs> weird's only good when you want to be weird, but when you don't want to be weird, weird's not good. <laughs> and I missed it, and I walked away, and I knew it, and I had to ask the Lord to forgive me. God, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I repent. I, I was at the airport, and I was just, I was looking at all them people. <laughs> I was just waiting on the prompting of the Lord. I was looking for an open door, and I didn't get one until I got on that last plane. But it takes courage to do that. 
And I'll confess to you today that many times I'm not courageous. Many times I allow my fear. Many times I allow the, the worry of being weird get in the way of being obedient. And if we're going to be those people that are obedient to the problem, we've got to be courageous. Look at that next point. Why courage? Because without courage, the walls of righteousness will never be rebuilt. Without courage, the gap will never be filled in. And the enemy will advance. And judgment will come. As I was studying this, the Lord just reminded me of a very simple thought. He said, Keith, do you realize that courage is a foundational virtue for everything else that I want to do in your life? If you don't have courage, you'll never live by conviction. If you don't have courage, you'll never step into your calling. If you don't have courage, you'll never be obedient. You'll never be submissive. You'll never be humble. You'll never walk in forgiveness. It's going to require courage for you to live the life that I've called you to live. And the only way that we can rebuild the walls of righteousness, and the only way we can stand in the gap and make a difference, is we've got to be courageous enough. We've got to be strong and of good courage because the Lord is with us. I want you to look with me in 2 Peter chapter 3. I want you to listen to this. The Apostle Peter says this. He says, this is my second letter to you, dear friends. And in both of them, I've tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. I want you to remember what the Holy Prophet said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth, following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? For from the time of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. And they deliberately forget that God made the heavens in the world, the heavens by the word of his command, and that he brought the earth out of the water and surrounded it with water, and then he used the water to destroy the, the destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And that by the same word, this present heaven and earth has been stored up for fire, that they are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. One day is like a thousand years with the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. Verse 9, and the Lord isn't really being slow about his promises, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. God's not being slow. God's being patient. For our sake, because you know what? We all have family and friends that are dying and going to hell. We all have people that we know that are not right with God. That are not right with God. I talked to a man this week. He was driving me back to the airport. His name was Larry. Larry was an awesome guy. Larry shared his testimony with me, and he told me how that, how that he had been in church and he was, you know, doing the church thing. He was getting high every day. He was smoking dope. And, and he said, but, you know, I didn't think anything about it. I went to job. I paid the bills. I took care of my family. And I went to church on Sunday. I just got high every day. He said, but one day I was going to work. He said, I was already high. He said, I started every day smoking a joint. And he said, I was already, already high, getting high. And he said, I got blindsided by a car. It wasn't even my fault, but another car hit me. He said, I got, I got into the ambulance. He said, the ambulance people got there, the rescue people got there. They put me in the ambulance. And he said, they were talking to me. They were, you know, trying to calm me down. You're going to be all right. He said, I was messed up pretty bad. He said, you're going to be all right. You're going to be all right. And he said, they said, we're going to take you to, to this hospital, and we're going to get you took care of. And he said, a few minutes later, he said, they realized I was a little worse than what I thought. And he said, all of a sudden, they said, we're going to take you to Christ. That was the name of a hospital. He didn't realize that. <laughs> he said, they literally said, we're going to take you to Christ. And he said, immediately, he said, I came to full alertness. And I said, oh, no, I'm not ready. <laughs> and he got ready. <laughs> he cried out to the Lord, and he got saved in the back of an ambulance because he thought they were taking him to Christ. <laughs> Amen. How many know that God is not being slack in his promises? God is being patient because he wants all people to be saved, that none should perish. 
Let me tell you what happens when we, when we rebuild the walls. Let me just read this to you. The Holy Spirit gave it to me. I want to just share it with you so I don't mess it up. He said, Keith, when we're courageous enough, when we as people are, when we're courageous enough to live holy, godly lives, he said, we literally hold back the enemy and we hasten the coming of the Lord at the same time. We hold back the enemy and we hasten the coming of the Lord. Because how many of you understand, the only thing holding Jesus back is that last soul. When the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled and the last person comes to Christ, the Lord will rapture the church and bring judgment on the world. And the only thing holding back the coming of Christ is that last person being saved. So let me just give you some good news today. If you want Jesus to hurry up and come, win souls. If you want Jesus to hurry up and come, win souls. That's the only thing holding him back. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And as we stand for righteousness, as we live godly, holy lives, we hold back the attack and advance of the enemy, and we usher in the coming of Christ because every soul brings his coming closer and his return more intimate. Here's our last thought. The source of our courage is God. This is huge. The source of our courage is God. Be strong and of good courage, he says, because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Be strong and of good courage, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The source of our courage is not our strength. It's not our ability. It's not our intellectual aptitude. It is our faith in the fact that God is with us, that God is for us, and that we are never alone. Be strong and courageous. Why? Because I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm your strength. I'm your shield. I'm your hope. I'm your God. I am with you. And our courage doesn't come from the determination of our will. It comes from the revelation that He is with us. He's with us. And if God's with us, who can be against us? David in Psalms 23 put it like this. Look what he said in Psalms 23. Verse 4, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. David said it, not David, but the apostle Paul said it like this in Romans chapter, 10, chapter 8. Look what he says, verse 31. He says, what shall we say to these things? And if God is for us, who can be against us? For he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with Jesus also freely give us all things? And who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. And who is he who's going to condemn us? It's Christ who died, furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. And who shall separate us from the love of God? That is in Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sakes we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. Look at verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We can be strong and courageous because God is with us. I want us to stand to our feet this morning. I'm going to ask our prayer teams to come. We're going to go into a final song of worship. I want to open the altar up this morning. Here's what I want to challenge you with. I want to challenge you with the three things we talked about this morning. Maybe you're here today. And maybe this morning you realize, man, somewhere along the way, your Moses died. There was a trauma. There was a grief. There was a loss. And you realize that you disengaged. You allowed that loss to cause you to pull back instead of press in. And maybe today you say, you know what, Pastor Keith, I want to be strong and courageous. I want to re-engage this morning. 
I've kind of been on the back burner. I hadn't stopped believing in God. I hadn't stopped trusting God, but I've really stopped pursuing Him. I've kind of been in just, just a stagnant place of Christianity, but I, I want to engage today. If that's you, as we begin to sing in a minute, I'd love for you to come. We'd love to pray with you, or you can just bow on the altar and pray yourself. The second thing is maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you realized, maybe you realized that, man, you, you have valued your drama-free life to such a degree that you're no longer standing in the gap for those who need to know Jesus. And maybe today you want to re-engage in reaching a lost and a dying world. Maybe today you want to re-engage in saying, God, I know there are some people in my life. I can't reach everybody, but there's a somebody that I can be a bridge builder for. And I can step into that gap, and I can begin to pray for them, and I can begin to build a relational bridge in their life to help them come to Christ. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you need to re-engage in the area of winning souls for Jesus. And maybe last but not least, maybe you recognize, man, I've allowed fear to keep me from just being obedient to those little promptings of the Lord. And I know that God is, is, is giving me opportunities almost on a daily basis to just be the hands and feet of Jesus. And I've allowed fear or any other thing in my life just to, just to stifle that voice. And today I want to be strong and courageous. And I just want to step out. I want to be obedient to the Lord. So as we go into this last song, as Karita leads us this morning, the altar's open. If you need prayer, you come. You give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. It's your breath in our 
just continue to pray in the altar. The altar is open. If you need prayer for any reason, you can come. But if you're here today or you're watching online and you realize, you know what, Pastor Keith, I'm not ready to meet the Lord. You're like that guy in the ambulance, Larry. And you realize that if you were to stand before Christ right now, you would not be ready. But you're not here today by accident. God brought you to this place because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And just as Zacchaeus was willing to turn from his sin and trust in Jesus as his Lord and Savior, that's all we have to do today. God, I'm willing today to repent of my sins, and I'm willing to trust Jesus. And as Paul said, to know that even the worst of sinners can believe and receive the gift of eternal life. You've not gone too far. You've not crossed too many bridges. You've not hurt too many people. God loves you, and he sent his son for you. So if you're here this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed, or you're watching online, and you say, Pastor Keith, that's me today. I want to accept Christ. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be born again. I want you just to raise your hand across the building. Just a simple act of faith. Just to raise your hand and say, today's my day, Pastor Keith. Today's my day. I want to be born again. I want to be ready to meet the Lord. I don't want to come to the end of my life and fear death. I want to know that I have conquered death through faith in Jesus Christ. If that's you, just slip your hand. Lift it up high. We'd love to put a little packet in your hand today. I'm going to pray with you this morning. I'd personally love to follow up with you and help you take those next steps in what it means to follow Jesus. So if that's you this morning, let's just pray this prayer together. If you're online, you can pray this prayer with us right now. Let's say it out loud, everybody together. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day. I repent of my sins and I ask you to come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I receive Jesus and the gift of eternal life through faith in Him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Welcome to the family today. Amen. Well, we love you guys. We pray God's blessing and favor upon you. Hope to see you back tonight at 6 p.m. for our night of worship. Let's enjoy Jesus and let's go out and be strong and courageous. Amen. See the scars in